0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. First responders are suffering from burnout, exhaustion, and mental stress in the fight against COVID-19. In this episode, Thrive Global founder and
1: CEO, Ariana Huffington, Harvard School of Public Health Dean, Michelle Williams, and CAA Foundation Executive Director, Natalie Tran, take a look at this lesser known public health crisis unfolding before our eyes. Let's listen.
2: I'm Eugene Scott, a political reporter for The Fix at the Washington Post, where I've been writing about the coronavirus pandemic. We all know that healthcare workers are the first responders in the fight against COVID-19. We call them heroes, but there is growing awareness about the exhaustion, the burnout, and the mental stress that many of them are suffering. Today, I'm joined by three guests who are working to support frontline workers. Allow me to introduce them. First, we have Ariana Huffington the founder and CEO of Thrive Global, Michelle Williams, Dean of the faculty at the Harvard Public School of Health, and Natalie Tran, the Executive Director of the CAA Foundation. They've all come together for an initiative called First Responders First, and today we're gonna learn more about it. Welcome, thank you all for being here.
3: Thank you. So Natalie,
2: Natalie, let's start with you. Can you please tell me a bit more about the First Responders First initiative that you all have been working on?
0: Absolutely. Be my pleasure. So we actually got started in mid-March. CAA uh, is a sports entertainment media and talent agency. We've had a long friendship with Ariana. So when she called us in mid-March with the opportunity to collaborate with her and Dean Michelle Williams, we jumped at the chance. So we're so grateful for that call. And so what First Responders First is, is an opportunity for us to respond and support our frontline healthcare workers and provide them with physical and psychological resources that they desperately need. You know, Dean Michelle always refers to this work as an opportunity to re-envision and create the new public health model. What we're doing at First Responders First is really looking at the needs from a whole human approach. Um, what we mean by that is when we think of what our frontline health workers need, absolutely, yes, it's PPE and supplies. But it's also making sure that they have delicious and nourishing food to eat, a safe and clean place to sleep at night without fear of infecting their loved ones, a place for their children to go while they're at work, and of course, the mental re- mental health resources that they need.
2: Awesome. And and Ariana, you co-wrote an op-ed about this particular topic Uh, called uh, This Epidemic of Mental Stress or Trauma, uh, the Lesser Known Public Health Crisis. Why did you feel the need to draw attention to this issue?
3: Well, we actually wrote this piece together with Dean Williams because uh, um, she's passionate in her public health work about identifying the hidden mental health crisis um, that we are, We created First Responders First to address when it comes to frontline healthcare workers and other essential workers as we've grown and as we have been able to support others. But at the heart of it is actually to make it okay to identify mental health problems, to make it okay to say that all they had to do the frontline healthcare workers is affecting not just the physical safety, everybody was talking about that, but their levels of depression, anxiety, burnout, and exhaustion. And so, as Natalie said, as well as helping bring the other resources needed, uh, we brought together micro steps um, that the Harvard School of Public Health and Thrive have put together to help frontline healthcare workers every day. And Jean, the key thing here is their micro steps. Uh, Taking 60 seconds to breathe consciously, to focus on your deep inhales and exhales, or taking 60 seconds to remember what you're grateful for, even in the middle of the chaos, can open new neural pathways in your brain that can help counteract the depression, anxiety, and fear. So that's really part of what we are very, very committed to changing. The perception that addressing mental health is something overwhelming when in fact, we can address it with small daily steps once we become aware of it. And once we are ready to acknowledge it.
2: Awesome. Awesome. And Dean Williams, you, you obviously work with physicians who uh, tend to refrain from showing weakness and other signs of vulnerability. How, how can these individuals better care for themselves uh, so that they can do a better job of caring for America?
1: Yeah, thank you, Jean. And I'm so delighted to be here. You know, it's it's interesting because people who go into healthcare go into healthcare because they want to serve others. And in the process of their training, there is a tendency to um, muscle your way through stress and strain and the physical uh, physicality of the job. And there are very little opportunities for educating frontline health workers about the need to prioritize their self-care. And so it's really important that we get the message across that self-care saves lives. And when this pandemic started to unfold, it was pretty clear that our frontline health workers were going to be challenged in ways they had not been challenged before. Prior to COVID, they were already facing high rates of burnout. And so it was really incumbent on us to help frontline health workers recognize the very fundamental aspects of what it's going to take for them to be able to build the resilience to continue to do the thing that they have trained all their lives to do, and that is care for others. And to care for others, they have to, as you heard Ariana say, be aware of their own well being, their physical health, as well as their mental health. And so we worked together to create and to make available these uh, micro steps, these small, snackable, easy to implement changes in their lives, even while they were being stressed physically in this work of the responding to the pandemic. So pause, take a breath, uh, reflect every time you're working between patients. Um, think about the importance of sleep. It was one of the reasons we designed the whole human approach to providing support for frontline workers. They needed to be able to rest, refuel, recharge, um, be mindful about their mental health and well-being so that they could do the one thing that they are trained to do and want to do, and that is serve others.
2: Dean Williams, I think most of the time when we think of... uh frontline workers. We just think of doctors and nurses, but we know that there are more individuals involved in uh, the process than just those in those two industries. Can you talk a bit more about some of the mental health challenges that individuals working in maybe lower paid jobs or less visible uh, spaces may may face?
1: Yes. Thank you for that question. You know, one of the things the pandemic Um, amplify for all of us is that we are so dependent on each other the interdependencies are pretty remarkable and we've all watched as we've struggled to define who are essential workers you know in our in our view um, the whole human capital that involves that is involved in our food security people who harvest our food, people who package, prepare our foods, deliver our foods, were important, essential workers in the time of this pandemic. Um, we also recognize that for people will in, in initially tend to approach frontline health workers as EMT workers, uh, uh, physicians, and nurses but there is a whole cadre of other individuals who contribute to the human capital of protecting our public health. And these include the sanitation crews, the uh, workers, the people who work in our cafeterias. Social workers are critically important. And we've actually seen social workers and psychologists come forward to support our frontline health workers as, as they have been struggling with a massive amount of physical work, but also the loss and the volume of very severe cases. So in the context of thinking about caregiving and essential workers, it is a large group of individuals who support the health, safety, and wellness of all of us.
2: Ariana, there's been a lot of focus about uh, the the symptoms that individuals may have and may need to pay attention to to determine whether or not they've been exposed uh, to COVID. But can you talk a bit about some of the symptoms uh, frontline workers need to recognize that would give some type of indication that they aren't as mentally healthy as they need to be to respond to patients? Uh,
3: Eugene, that is such a great question. And it's not just about them being uh, in a mental state to respond to patients, it's also about their own health and immunity. And that's why we started this piece that we wrote um, together with Dean Williams, saying that in the same way that on the aeroplanes, they tell us to put our own oxygen mask on first before helping others, frontline health workers need to keep that in mind. In terms of signs, you know, the first sign is the sign that is true for all of us, Eugene, which is, are we feeling exhausted, depleted, burnt out with no energy? Because that's kind of the beginning of realizing that we are going to um, have much less resilience to be able to deal with the challenges. Um, that are in front of us and uh, you may not be able to go and have a full night's sleep but having like a 20-minute nap instead of say scrolling through your social media can be game-changing and um, hydration when people are dehydrated it can have a big impact and um, and also just Beginning to recognize the signs in others as well as in ourselves creates a community where we are truly supporting each other at the same time that we are putting our they are putting their lives at risk to help us. And um, we have a lot of that information, a lot of those micro steps, a lot of great content that uh, both the Harvard School of Public Health, Thrive Global, and uh, Johnson and Johnson, that's a corporate sponsor can help us have helped us curate um, among resources that um, frontline workers can use. and anybody can go to thriveglobal.com um, backlash uh, first responders first and find all that there, including really moving stories and videos from first responders.
2: And Natalie, when it comes to responding uh, to the, the, the health needs, of first responders, I, I'm not sure that most people would go first to the CAA Foundation, but this is clearly a topic, an issue uh, that your community holds dear. Can you tell us a bit about uh, what a Hollywood agency is doing or, or can do to respond to this crisis?
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, the CAA Foundation activates the power and reach of the entertainment, entertainment media and sports industries to create systemic social change for more equitable, sustainable, and optimistic future. As I mentioned, we're the philanthropic arm of CAA, and we really sit at the epicenter of both entertainment, pop culture, and philanthropy. So it was a really interesting opportunity for us to galvanize the entertainment and sports and brand world around this. Um, And we've just been so blown away by the response and the creativity and the innovation behind some of our partners. Um, our first sort of brand partner was Modelo. We're so grateful for them. And within days of launch, we got this email from Dutch Brothers Coffee, whom we had not previously had a relationship with. And they were so generous and reached out and very quickly became and still remain our largest corporate sponsor and donor. Um, and, after dutch brothers we've seen so many other brands come on board um our social impact team at ca it's just been incredible in reaching out to our brand network um j jill has been offering vouchers for frontline healthcare workers um modello launched a sync up campaign for cinco de mayo to support and cheers our frontline healthcare workers um we've had our friends at mattel Last month, they launched a hashtag Thank You Heroes collection. Um, And like Dean Michelle Williams said, heroes come in all shapes and sizes. They're not just doctors. So they launched a special edition figurines that featured delivery drivers and nurses and doctors and EMTs, and you could purchase them, and portions of those um, figurines went to supporting First Responders First. It's been amazing. CBS and Trevor Noah have created beautiful content. Trevor's done an incredible job of featuring First Responders First and the Thank You Heroes collection on his show. Um, we've had great support from entertainment. Olivia Wilde created this beautiful PSA featuring some of television's favorite doctors saluting real doctors. I encourage everyone to see it. Um, Carmelo Anthony interviewed Dean Michelle for his YouTube channel in an incredible interview. Um, And we've had so much other support from celebrities such as David Boreanaz and Shonda Rhimes, all really coming in, coming in with their superpowers, using their platforms to really raise this awareness and this platform of First Responders First.
3: Uh, Eugene, awesome. it's Eugene, it's actually been a great model of, uh, yeah. you know, bringing together the incredible depth and credibility of Dean Williams and the Harvard School of Public Health uh, with the behavior change knowledge of Thrive Global and the huge cultural reach of CAA uh, to have a big impact quickly because, you know, we didn't have uh, months to prepare and... Uh, and build. We really had to launch um, and be ready from day one. And and the the response, as Natalie said, was amazing. Truly, I don't think any of us will ever forget the day we got a two million dollar check from Dutch Brothers Coffee. <laughs> and that's kind of the what enabled us to have a to have a real impact. And 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 we are going to be around. We are not going anywhere. Um not just mm. because the coronavirus is is doesn't seem to be want to go anywhere right away but also because mm. this really goes beyond um doctors and nurses to to address the mental health needs of all essential workers
2: awesome awesome uh dean williams it's been great hearing about all of the industry supporting uh, first responders, but there's been some thought that the healthcare industry has not done the best job of uh, supporting first responders. I think of Lorna Breen, the New York City doctor, who uh, after repeatedly uh, going to shifts, working hard with uh, patients who were affected by coronavirus, and ended up being so stressed out and so hurt by the situation that she took her own life. and And some argue that there wasn't a safety net for her maybe the healthcare system had betrayed her uh, despite her giving so much of her life to it what what what's your response to that do do you think the healthcare system is unprepared to deal with this onslaught of me- mental issues
1: well i you know thank you jean for that question and it's a really important one and i think um, covid has allowed us uh, to see just how urgent and critically important this the mental health and wellness of healthcare providers are you know, as I indicated earlier, the mental health care uh, workforce was already under a lot of strain and stress prior to COVID. Uh, there was a high a proportion of concern and a high burden of burnout already being experienced by um, the frontline health care workers, uh, physicians and nurses. And there had been, you know, a lot of studies done um, in April of uh, 2019. You know, I worked with the Massachusetts Medical Society on a large conference where we spent the entire uh, third of the two day meeting talking about physician and nurse burnout. So when COVID uh, came along, it was pretty clear that an already stressed workforce was going to be even more stressed. And the key here is to appreciate the physical needs of, of the the workforce needing PPEs, but also appreciating that they were going to have a great deal of stress, anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress-like uh, symptoms. It is not a culture, a workforce, where um, um, reporting or acting on one's own physical and mental health needs um, is encouraged. In fact, uh, some of the policies and organis- the way um, the a licensing uh, network is dis- dis- designed uh, discourages um healthcare providers from seeking mental health care. Stigma mm-hmm. is a large problem. It's a very important problem nationally, but particularly in the workforce of uh, nurses and physicians. And so mm-hmm. it's really important that we continue to raise awareness, um, mm-hmm. do everything we can to reduce stigma and encourage and support Healthcare providers who are suffering from depression, anxiety, PTSD like symptoms to seek help. And the first first step is to recognize that one is not sleeping well, one is um, physically fatigued, and to ask for help, to talk to someone, and then to go and try to um, receive help. The good news is that programs like ours. Programs like the David Lynch Foundation um, provide a great deal of support v- via telehealth, tele- using uh, uh, digital health platforms or talk ther- therapy to help first responders. So I think there are signs of improvement, but yes, the healthcare sector can do a lot more to encourage health providers to um, seek help. Uh, to reduce the barriers to um, accessing that health, health care, and then also supporting their uh, making the necessary steps of taking care of themselves with the micro steps and other um, forms of self-care for mental health and well-being.
2: You know, Ariana, one of the ways we raise awareness is by depending on the media and journalists to tell these stories on on any given week, I'm actually talking to doctors and nurses and other people uh, on the ground responding to this crisis, but there are limits. I'm I'm not allowed to go into the COVID wings of hospitals and, and I can't see up close what doctors and other first responders are responding to. So how can the media do a better job of learning about this issue and educating the public on these concerns?
3: Well, Eugene, the media can also be a platform for um, these first responders to tell their own stories. That's what we've done on ThriveGlobal.com. You know, now everybody can uh, use their iPhone and do a video or write a piece. And um, I think that's also so important because part of what uh, Dean Williams was saying about eliminating the stigma starts with people acknowledging what they're going through. And um, then we can help people with these micro steps, not just address depression and anxiety once they have um, manifested themselves, but also identify stress triggers. Um, As Dean Williams said, not being able to sleep, being perpetually distracted and fatigued. So we can address them with these micro steps before they become full-blown depression and anxiety and you know one of our favorite uh, micro steps in terms of uh, micro steps being adopted and we hear from people the impact it had is um, determining um, a social media and news cutoff time i'm sorry eugene there is a time when you need to stop consuming coronavirus news on the washington post or anywhere else because we hear from so many people it's much harder for them to to fall asleep and not have a disturbed sleep, which means they'll wake up um, exhausted. But the bottom line here is that what uh, frontline health workers are going through is really a reflection of our whole culture. You know, we have a culture fueled by burnout. Yes. And uh, we um, have come to believe that to be high achievers and get stuff done, we need to be always on. So we need to change the whole culture and they're, in a way, uh, paying a heavy, heavy price because they're there protecting us and our health and, um, mm-hmm. and also, of course, we see um, an uptick in medical errors. When you are making life and death decisions, it affects you, but it also affects everyone you touch.
2: Absolutely, that's such an important uh, point. And and Natalie, as as Ariana was mentioning, uh, this this is something that goes beyond first responders. Uh, this is something, uh, this crisis and the mental health issues related to it, connected to it, that are affecting us all. Can can you talk about how this is uh, changing so many? of our lives even beyond first responders in terms of how we respond to uh, public health crises?
0: Sure, Um, I think that, you know, to your point, not only is this affecting our frontline healthcare workers, we're seeing that firsthand. This is affecting everyone across the board. Everyone is now sitting in front of their computer 16 hours plus a day, there's no break. There's no break in between your meetings. There's no driving time or travel time in between your lunches and your next meetings. We're sort of just rolling right into the other. Um, so it's it's gonna be an issue. And I think a lot of people are already sort of seeing the mental health effects. And so what Ariana and Dean Michelle is saying is absolutely right. Um, this is affecting all of us. So we all need to take their advice Follow these micro steps, you know, go and go to thriveglobal.com slash first responders, access this content Um, because like Ariana said, we're going to be in this for a while. So we really all do need to do what we can to help take care of each other.
2: I've got a few audience questions I want to get to, and I want to start with you, Dean Williams. Uh, One is from uh, Catherine Donaldson from Washington, D.C., uh, she asks, "How can I be supportive of a family member who is a doctor on the front lines who does not want to talk about their experiences?"
1: Oh, that's that's a really important question. You know, um, during this pandemic, one of the things that we recognize is family members are also um, at risk of suffering from the indirectly from the stress and the strain of their loved ones working in in healthcare. You know, I think here it would be first important to recognize as a family member of a frontline responder that they are under a massive amount of physical as well as emotional and mental stress. They're seeing more severe cases, they're seeing a high volume of work and they're being challenged professionally in ways that they'd never been challenged before. So recognizing the, the, the stress and the strain that they're under is a first step. Second is to give them some room and to don't give up on trying to get them to talk because as you heard earlier, um, talking, um, reflecting is one of the small micro steps that one can take to start to build even on your own self-awareness. So I would say, be patient, be understanding. The question itself, Raises uh, a a level of awareness, which I think is going to be critically important. Um, And then also recognize that part of the worry and strain that a healthcare provider has in this crisis is that they're worried about bringing home the virus to their own family members. And so everything that you can do to make your home a safe space, um, that your loved one who's working in the workforce can uh, put their Uh, Clothes that they use at work away from the family would be an important hygienic step uh, to break the the spread of this virus as well.
2: And and lastly, Dean Williams, I'd be remiss if I did not talk about the racial injustice and issues of inequality related to this pandemic. We are seeing uh, Black American communities, as well as Latino and Native American communities, disproportionately affected and harmed uh, when compared to white communities. And, and this has been a new uh, issue, healthcare disparities for many people who just haven't been paying attention to this topic for a while. Can you give us uh, just an idea of why these uh, disparities exist?
1: Yeah, no, thank you, Jean, for this question. And this is a really important one because this pandemic has really amplified the underlying persistent and pervasive inequity that has existed in our country from its founding. And so we have seen um, low-income workers, black and brown workers, not able to social distance the way others can um, because they are essential workers and they were not well protected in the workforce. We have seen African Americans um, have a higher mortality rate than others in large part because of their intense exposure But also the limitations on testing. Testing in Black and Brown communities were not implemented um, early on. And it was only late after the community spread had really expanded that communities um, of color started to have testing centers installed in their communities. The structural inequality that is a function of racism in our country has allowed for um, inadequate housing, inadequate um, nutrition. And inadequate wages that all fuel the social determinants of health—where we live, where we work, how we work, what we do for work, um, and where uh, what we eat—is all a determinants of health. And if these are dispar- if there are disparities in these health relevant determinants of our health then we're going to see them in pre-COVID, and we have seen them post-COVID. The mortality rates that we see that are high among Hispanics and Blacks is in large part a reflection of the burden of chronic disease that existed in this population, uh, um, hypertension, diabetes, and respiratory disorders. And these coexisting morbidities, as we understand now, really elevate the risk of mortality as a result of COVID. And so, racism, as we've seen, is a public health crisis. And we're actually undergoing what one would call a triple pandemic that is, the pandemic of COVID 19, the pandemic of the economic uh, devastation that we're all experiencing, and the pandemic of systemic racism that drives inequality, that drives the health disparities that we see before COVID and now during COVID.
2: So, so many important points. I, uh, I have so many more questions, but not a lot of time left. And I just really wanted to thank you three, Ariana, uh, Dean Williams, Natalie, for joining us here at Washington Post Live.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.